how would you like to test your blood ketones for just $1 per strip? Join the Keto Clarity Club at bestketonetest.com for the Keto Mojo blood ketone and blood glucose testing. And join the club to get $1 strips when purchased in vials of 50. You get to choose how often they will ship to you and you'll still get that $1 price per strip. And while you're at bestketonetest.com, make sure you get the meter. And we also have glucose strips sold in vials of 50 and you'll get $5 off with the coupon code JIMMY. There's also the Ketonian Special Kit, which allows you to get the meter, Lancet, as well as a starter pack of blood ketone test strips. Again, it's bestketonetest.com for the Keto Mojo blood ketone and blood glucose testing. Bestketonetest.com. Today's featured audio is from the 2017 Low Carb USA San Diego event. Visit lowcarbusa.org for more information about the July 26th through the 29th, 2018 Low Carb USA event in San Diego, California. Ah, uh, living la vida low carb. This show is changing lives. We talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling right. Cut up the avocados, fry some eggs. Time to explore the longest running health podcast hosted by Jim. Me more. Time to give up the crappy garbage. We're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal. Yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused. Don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Hey, the Living Low Carb Show.com. Woo! In my, my past life, I was a cancer and autoimmunity researcher. And the driver for that, I had a girlfriend who died at the age of 16 due to a glioblastoma brain tumor. And this happens to be one of the brain tumors that seems to be quite amenable to the the combined therapeutic inputs of a ketogenic diet and potentially some other traditional therapies. So it's one of these things that just kind of haunts me a little bit. You know, what if? What if we had known more about these types of things, you know, uh, so many years ago now? And then another area that I've been very passionate about, I've been on the Naval Special Warfare Resiliency Committee for about six or seven years, and I go and speak to the SEAL teams, the special boat teams, and their families about nutrition, sleep, circadian rhythm, just trying to keep them as resilient and strong as they can be. And it was my exposure to this community that this topic of traumatic brain injury really got on my radar. I've always been interested in this to a certain degree, but it it really became pretty powerful because so many of the folks in our police, military, and fire profession suffer from undiagnosed traumatic brain injury. And a huge cross-section of the population actually experiences traumatic brain injury. And they think that low-carb or ketogenic diets could be an amazing solution to this uh, uh, very uh, troubling process. And then I'll, I'll, I'm gonna share a little bit of a clinical uh, uh, kind of anecdote in working with someone who suffered a, a traumatic brain injury and some pretty remarkable results we had with that. And then we'll talk a little bit about how maybe our modern lifestyle, diet, lifestyle, circadian rhythm disruptions are maybe making the process of traumatic brain injury worse. So we'll see if I can make this thing work. So a disclosure, I am on the board of directors of Specialty Health, which is the clinic that worked with this young man. So what is a traumatic brain injury? There's kind of two different flavors of, of head trauma, if you want to call them that. Uh, one is, th- th- that can affect the brain. One is a bump or a direct kind of impact. 
you think about hitting your head against somebody else while playing rugby or getting a, a ball ping hammer to the back of the head or what have you. So it's a focal point of damage that usually leads to bruising and contusion, uh, subdural hematoma. But there's another interesting type of TBI. How do you guys like that? So the guy's on a, a roller coaster. So a, a diffuse damage due to acceleration, deceleration injuries. Yeah, people are just now kind of like, oh, okay. So this is what's really interesting and a little bit scary. So in just a, a regular roller coaster, you can get excess of, of uh, one to two G type, type uh, uh, changes, and that's enough to produce a low-grade traumatic brain injury in, in individuals. So it doesn't take a lot to, to induce this state of a traumatic brain injury and cause some damage. And some of the pathophysiology that starts coming out from this, we have some primary versus secondary impacts. When you first suffer a traumatic brain injury, you get a decrease in cerebral blood flow. So that drops down. This leads to a decreased substrate delivery, which is basically glucose for most of the, the population that we see walking around. So we get that impact. Blood flow is decreased. We see decreased glucose. With that decreased glucose, we get an ischemic-like event. How many of you guys have sat on a leg or laid on an arm, and then when you stand up, it's pins and needles, and, and you, you know, it's painful? This is very similar to what happens in our brain during a traumatic brain injury, and it's injurious. It's what's called an ischemic reperfusion injury. So we get an increase in lactic acid concentration. This is the body basically trying to cope with a lack of energy to keep our neurons, to try to keep our cells moving forward. The substrate uh, depletion leads to an inadequate aerobic metabolism, decrease in AP, ATP, and ultimately a loss of what's called membrane potential. The membrane potential is where we're able to pump fluids and ions in and out of our cells to maintain the homeostatic balance that we need. And when we lose this, then we start getting cerebral edema. We get swelling in the brain. And this leads into the secondary uh, insults. We get terminal mem membrane depolarization, and this is as technical as anything's going to get. I, it's not going to be a complete um, geek fest up here. I'm just kind of going through the pathophysiology of this. It gets better here in just a little bit. Uh, we get excitatory neurotransmitter release. This is the final Hail Mary metabolic attempt for the brain and the cells in the brain to try to kickstart the metabolic process. The cells are dying due to a lack of energy delivery and a lack of the ability to, to drive aerobic metabolism. And then when we get that, we get a dramatic increase in reactive oxygen species, and this leads to apoptosis and cell death. And I'll kind of jam through this stuff. I, I mentioned a lot of it. We get hypoperfusion in the beginning of this event with a rebound hyperperfusion later in the event, uh, increased intracranial pressure, reactive oxygen species, apoptosis, and inflammation similar to an ischemic reperfusion injury. So again, uh, it's similar to if you imagine like sitting on your leg for too long and you stand up and that pins and needles, that's what's happening in the brain, but uh, clearly the brain is much less adept at dealing with that over a prolonged period of time and it has some really, really nasty consequences. Some numbers on the TBI morbidity and mortality, 2.5 million ER visits during 2010. Uh, deaths of more than 50,000 people in the United States during 2010. Uh, really on the rise is the um, occurrence of traumatic brain injury in children. And there's something that I think is worth asking about this. Are we seeing more traumatic brain injuries, which I think we probably are, 
or are we just looking for it more frequently, which I think we also are. But I can't, when you understand kind of the mechanistic process of how traumatic brain injury occurs, and then you overlay that with the way that our diet has changed, the way that we don't sleep as well, we live in a hyper-inflamed state, I'm thinking that it's not just the fact that we're doing more stuff and maybe we're doing more adventurous type things like when kids watch guys jumping their skateboard from one building to another on YouTube and stuff like that. Like we're doing more knuckleheaded activities in some ways, but we also as a baseline, I think, are in such a metabolically broken, hyper-inflamed state that any type of brain trauma that we sustain, whereas 50 years ago, people would bounce back from that in a matter of days, now it's becoming a, a chronic degenerative process. That's largely a guess on my part, but it, it certainly makes, makes a lot of sense. So there's some non-traditional methods of, of getting a traumatic brain injury, and I'll see if I remember how to run this. So this thing's called a Carl Gustav anti-tank weapon. And if you notice, these guys are placed at really specific spots around this weapon going off. So this thing was developed by the uh, German government a number of years ago, and they recommend that an individual firing this weapon does not do it more, fire off more than three rounds in a one-month period due to the concussive force that they're, that, that they're physically exposed to and largely related to the traumatic brain injury. I've worked with some SEAL teams in which a group of 10 guys had fired off two or 3,000 rounds among the 10 of them in a weekend. Yeah, so... Pretty big problem. Uh, simply firing things as small as like a 308 rifle, a 50 caliber sniper rifle, can cause a low-grade traumatic brain injury. And again, we have the ability to deal with this stuff. But if you have a population that is chronically sleep-deprived, that has suffered all kinds of circadian rhythm dysregulation, the main food that they eat are MREs, which are you know just ridiculous in composition, hyper-inflammatory, I think that it's this whole process that creates a perfect storm and, and brings about the chronic elements of this traumatic brain injury. So th this is the paper that it came from, uh, Blast Over Pressure, a really pretty interesting paper, actually, if, you, if you're into this stuff. So the next slide, if you're not comfortable with kind of grotesque stuff, just close your eyes for a second. But this is Blast Over Pressure. That's fatal. So it doesn't take a lot for this to injure someone severely or kill them. That guy was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that was a fatal blast over pressure experience. And there's lots of circumstances like that in day-to-day -day life that, again, certain um, uh, police, military, fire get exposed to, but we can get exposed to that as well. So some other things that weave into the traumatic brain injury experience we tend to see sleep disturbance, cognitive impairment, dementia, mood alterations, hormonal dysregulation. Lots of people who experience a traumatic brain injury event, they present as hypogonadic, and this is true whether it's male or female. We find that their testosterone, estrogen axis is completely disordered, thyroid tends to be disordered. You may see absolutely no growth hormone produced in these people at all, and the combination of this leads into some really health, uh, significant health considerations. Um, there are some critters that have really frequent head impact, but very little to no uh, TBI occurrence. And I'll just very quickly do this impulse momentum equation. We have uh, uh, mass times velocity squared. So when things start moving faster, this is when things get really, really bad. 
And so what these animals do, like the bighorn sheep and the woodpecker, they, the way that the beak is structured in the woodpecker and also some of the cranial anatomy and then in the bighorn sheep, there's this spongy matter that allows the transmission of this force to happen over a much longer period of time. We've tried to do things like that with the, like American football helmets and mouthpieces and whatnot, but biology is way better at this engineering than we are. And most of the efforts that we've made to decrease head trauma with things like helmets have actually worsened the problem. So this will get into a little bit of what folks have talked about already. It, and everybody clearly has heard of a ketogenic diet, right? Nothing new, nothing new there? Okay, cool. If glucose becomes restricted due to that decrease in cerebral blood flow, then we don't get to use glucose in the citric acid cycle. We can't maintain our membrane potential through the electron transport system. But beta-hydroxybutyrate can bypass that whole need. And interestingly, beta-hydroxybutyrate can work in a hypoxic environment pretty effectively. So ketones could be a really remarkable adjunct in both the acute and the more chronic phase of traumatic brain injury because it provides an alternate fuel substrate. One of the really nasty elements of a traumatic brain injury is that the brain itself becomes transiently and possibly permanently insulin resistant. So what that then necessitates is either an alternate fuel source like beta-hydroxybutyrate or potentially very high blood glucose levels. Are high chronic blood glucose levels good for you? No. But if you don't provide a fuel substrate to your brain, your brain dies. That's also not good. So you end up in it basically painted into a corner that if you don't have an alternate fuel substrate, then you need super high blood glucose levels to maintain basic cognitive function, but then that's going to have knock-on effects as well. Um, oh, th this is about, uh, just an interesting aside. I, I, this talk usually I, I give to kind of uh, hospital systems and doctors, so some of this stuff is totally old hat for, for a population like, like y'all, so I apologize for, for maybe being redundant on some of this stuff, but uh, in the acute stage of TBI, it's interesting. Sleep debt appears to be very protective to the worsening of the traumatic brain injury event. So you actually try to keep the person awake for 24 or 36 hours after the head, head trauma. And we don't really know what the mechanism is, but I would suspect that there's some sort of a hormetic stress response that actually ends up upregulating some of the recovery mechanisms within the brain and then mitigating the long-term uh, kind of feed-forward mechanisms that would occur if you allow the person to sleep. But interestingly, on the flip side of that, once we start getting out past a few days, chronic sleep dep deprivation tends to be the norm for the traumatic brain injury individual. And so we need to do some pretty heroic efforts to make sure that their sleep is as well-regulated as possible, a, a glycemically appropriate diet, uh, good fuel substrates in, in the form of protein so that we have proper neurotransmitter balance, good circadian entrainment so we get outside during the earlier parts of the day, we start winding things down in the evening, and even though uh, conferences like this are fun, we don't spend extended periods of time indoors instead of playing outside on the beach. And that's some of the stuff that you can enact so that you can repair that longer-term element of the disordered sleep that's very uh, typical of traumatic brain injury. Um, talk a little bit about MCTs and ketone esters. I love the therapeutic potential for these items in specific applications. 
Something that's frustrating for me is that I have seen claims basically to the effect that these things bypass the whole process of entering into a ketogenic diet state, and I just don't think that's credible. So I'm, I'm frustrated in, in two ways. I'm frustrated in that people are being sold an idea that is probably not true and maybe fleecing them of some money. And then on the backside of that, I'm frustrated because I think every youth sports team in the, in the nation should be carrying around a, a packet of some sort of a, a ketone salt, ketone ester solution. And when a kid sustains a, a traumatic brain injury, that would probably be a phenomenal first line intervention to provide instead of having them chug Gatorade. And this stuff needs to be vetted out. There need to be studies with it. But the mechanistic suggestion that this would be beneficial, I think, is incredibly strong. But that, that's kind of my thoughts around the MCTs and ketone esters. And we did uh, use some MCT oil in our clinical intervention, which I'll share with you in a minute. And that's that paper, Diet Ketones and Neurotrauma. And a clinical review, which I didn't crop that properly, and it dropped off. But if you guys want these papers, I'll, I'll give them to you. No, no problem. Uh, so here's a case study. We, I worked with a 22-year-old male, and we worked with him in the clinic. He had recurrent concussion syndrome. He was an aspiring MMA fighter, really great kid, but he got hit in the head a few times too many. And one of the big problems is that not only did he get hit once, he got back in the gym and got hit again. He got hit pretty re uh, close to the, the first head, uh, head trauma. I think it was like seven days later that he got another uh, head trauma. There's a remarkably high likelihood of dying on that second head trauma when it occurs within a brief period of time. The person basically can drop dead or they go to sleep that night and they don't wake up. So it's a really serious issue. And it was interesting when he did any type of hard glycolytic work like boxing, kickboxing, wrestling, CrossFit type activity, he would go into basically a syncope type state. Like his eyes would, would track kind of randomly. He couldn't talk. And to me, from the outside looking at him, it looked a lot like a, a hypoglycemic event. I've seen this in the hospital before where somebody will hit a, a hypoglycemic ebb and you give them some sort of glucose solution or some fruit and they perk right back up. And that's what we did with him and it would perk him up immediately. And even though that's helpful in the moment, that's not really addressing the problem. If we think again about the pathophysiology of this issue, the reason why, let me add, well, instead of me dictating it to you, why would a hard physical uh, activity cause this seizure in this young man? He needs a substrate to run his brain, mainly glucose, right? What happens to glucose levels when we train, particularly at, at high intensity? Glucose levels drop. So what happened is he was okay so long as he wasn't undergoing hard physical activity. When he underwent hard physical activity, his blood glucose levels dropped below a threshold that would allow enough of that, that glucose to go into to the brain because the brain was inflamed and insulin resistant. So he was really kind of in a pickle uh, we, uh, he had an MRI, which I'll show you some of these MRIs. They're pretty fascinating. MRI indicated a 56-year-old brain and a 22-year-old male due to frontal lobe atrophy. And he also, on the left parietal lobe, had an ischemic lesion, which I'll show you guys that. Uh, cognitive testing uh, confirmed the imaging. He was put on anti-seizure meds, Keppra. Has anybody ever uh, taken Keppra or seen somebody who took Keppra? It, it completely, it, it's almost a lobotomy scenario. Like this kid was 
funny, engaging, bright, and when he was on the 3,000 milligrams of Keppra a day, which did largely control his seizures, he had no affect whatsoever, like he was a zombie going through life. And this is oftentimes where the traumatic brain injury individual finishes. This is, this is the standard of care. This is the end of standard of care. This is where the person goes and maybe they're institutionalized or something. But uh, we, we started working with him. So yeah, a huge change in his uh, personality and quality of life. So I'm not an expert on brain imaging, but we've got the frontal lobe. And this should be nice and rounded, and it's not in this young man. And then we have the lesion right here. And that's where he had the, the focal impact originally. So we've got a blow up of that. So he had this brain lesion. So what did we do for him? We put him on a, a modified ketogenic diet, and I'll, I'll explain kind of what the modifications are here. That's the approximate macro and energetic breakdowns, about 28% protein, 9% carb, 63% fat. We went a little higher carb because the, the, this is some of the challenge of doing clinical interventions with people. We, we set up some guidelines. He was not allowed to do glycolytic type training. He couldn't box, he couldn't kickbox, he couldn't wrestle. We definitely didn't want him doing anything where the likelihood of an additional head impact was gonna be high. So he had to nix all that stuff. He couldn't do CrossFit type workout. But the guy still wanted to do some physical activity, otherwise he was gonna probably chew his own arm off. So some of the, the, uh, the middle ground that we found was that we allowed a little bit more carbohydrate in the beginning, but we, and the, we used the caloric load uh, set by, by the Mifflin St. Jor. Um, we used some uh, concentrated MCT oils to provide a sub, part of his caloric background was a substrate to boost ketone levels. Uh, like I said, the exercise was weight only, no cardio. Um, with the keto diet results, after about two months, he had improved it. cognitive testing, basically back to normal compared to where he was. Memory and recall improved. His eye stigmas improved, it, it essentially resolved. In the follow-up MRIs, we saw significant improvements. The ischemic lesion was actually gone, and you start seeing kind of an increasing fullness in the frontal lobe. He also, I, I forgot to include this in here, he went on pretty high-dose fish oil for a period of time, and there is some great literature that suggests that very high-dose fish oil, like as much as 10 or 15 grams a day, for a month or two in the traumatic brain injury individual may be very efficacious. And I know I've been hung out to dry in the past for recommending high-dose fish oil, and I've kind of retracted that, but this may be a, a situation where that still is efficacious. Um, and he's now titrated completely off the Keppra, and if you can believe this, this is where, like, I love this guy. He, he's like a brother to me, but he's insisting on competing in the CrossFit Games, and he just missed going to the Games this year. But the, the, I could... I'd be hard-pressed to figure out a more glycogen-demanding sport than CrossFit. And he went from basically being able to do no glycolytic activity, being on 3,000 milligrams of Keppra, severe cognitive impairment, all of that stuff is resolved, and now at, at 25 now, I guess, he barely missed going to the CrossFit Games this last time. So pretty remarkable improvement. I still just want to kick him sometimes for, for, you know, I'm like, can't you just like lift weights and be jacked? And he's like, no, I got to do CrossFit. So 
Have you been interested in trying the new cutting-edge technology of exogenous ketones but didn't know where to get started? Let me introduce you to Perfect Keto. Visit perfectketo.com jimmy and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto was created by a functional medicine clinician who developed this unique formula for maximum efficacy. It's great tasting and the most affordable exogenous ketone supplement you can find that raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimolar to help increase mental focus, boost your energy, and commence fat burning. It does not contain any soy, dairy, gluten, artificial sweeteners, binding agents, or anything that doesn't directly improve your health. The synergistic power of a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat, ketogenic diet with Perfect Keto Exogenous Ketones will have your body running optimally. Perfect Keto is available in delicious chocolate sea salt and peaches and cream flavors. Each serving comes with 11.38 grams of high-quality beta-hydroxybutyrate for maximum ketone boosting while adding in magnesium, potassium, cocoa, stevia, and vitamin C for extra micronutrition. Again, try Perfect Keto for yourself at perfectketo.com jimmy and be sure to use the coupon code LLVL at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto. Are you having issues with fatigue, the keto flu, or muscle cramping on your ketogenic diet? Then allow me to introduce you to Keto Vitals. They will solve all of these issues. Keto Vitals is a high-dose electrolyte in a pill specifically created for the unique needs of the ketogenic lifestyle. They use only the best ingredients. In fact, their form of magnesium was shown in a double-blind trial to improve insulin sensitivity. Keto Vitals is 100% guaranteed if it doesn't work, they will refund your money. Head on over to KetoVitals.com or you can go on Amazon and get free two-day shipping for Amazon Prime members. Use the coupon code KETO1515 both on Amazon and at KetoVitals.com to get 15% off of your order. Keto Vitals. Now, the, the, the thing that I'm really excited about and I think the huge potential here. All of these neurological conditions like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, senile dementia, they have huge similarities to what we see with the traumatic brain injury individual. And most of the talks this morning kind of dovetail into this. What is the, the uh, cellular, cellular unit that ends up breaking down in cancer? What's the thing that kind of goes awry? The mitochondria. This is what's happening in this situation too, and this is what's so incredibly exciting to me. There will be a lot of nuance, a lot of detail. It won't be a one-size-fits-all approach to this, but what we're finding is that so many different circumstances, from acute trauma, like a traumatic brain injury, to autoimmune disease, to cancer, may all have an underlying similar mechanism of mitochondrial dysfunction. And we have an incredibly powerful tool of ketogenic and low-carb diets and some of these other hormetic stress-inducing elements like resveratrol and whatnot that could be really powerful in, in, as adjunctive aids. So Parkinson's, there's about 1 million uh, individuals in the U.S. affected by Parkinson's, about a $14 billion a year cost to society. Alzheimer's is much larger. All of these numbers are growing at exponential rates. So we're just now at the beginning of some legitimate, good research looking at this stuff. I've been 
let's see here, it was 1998 that I first ate a ketogenic diet. And at that point, I met Lauren Cordain, who's kind of the, the paleo diet founder. When I first met him, there were probably fewer than 200 people on the planet that cared about like a paleo or ancestral diet. I think low carb was clearly better understood in, in wider reach. But I mean, today you could put together a talk and have 200 people in Reno or San Diego or whatever show up to hear about a, a, a keto or a paleolithic type diet. So it's really amazing. The opportunities are huge, but the timing is critical. Like a lot of these chronic degenerative diseases are poised to cripple our economy because the, the costs are so outrageous, but we may have some uh, remarkable tools at our disposal using these ketogenic, low-carb diets, hormetic stress-inducing elements, and just having really, really savvy practitioners that can navigate all this stuff. Uh, the immunology of traumatic brain injury, a prime target for Alzheimer's disease prevention. So this isn't an opinion piece on my part. This is some stuff that's getting some really nice vetting in the scientific circles. So the role of modern life. Uh, sports and warfare are faster, harder, and more frequent than ever. Uh, our military personnel, particularly in the special operations community, they will deploy for six to nine months at a shot. They will do night operations so that they sleep during the day, they're awake at night, they wear a full kit if they are awake during the day, so their vitamin D levels are super low, their circadian rhythm is completely altered, their food is terrible. So there's a lot of circumstances where modern diet and lifestyle practices are really at odds with setting us up to, to succeed if we're sustaining any type of a, a traumatic brain injury. And we look at the way that most kids are fed these days. I mean, again, you know, like kids play a 20-minute soccer game and holy smokes, like they need a jug of Gatorade before and half midway through and a bagel afterwards. And um, I, I, I think clearly, and again, this is where when I present this to like a, a standard hospital system when I give this talk, there's some incredulity when I start throwing this stuff out. Clearly, I'm, I'm kind of uh, uh, singing to the choir with you folks. Uh, modern diet is clearly pro-inflammatory, altered circadian rhythm. So, almost done with the talk. Car accidents. Car accidents, absolutely, yeah. So this is, the, this is a fun one. So imagine all of you are doctors, nurses, hospital administrators, you're steeped in the conventional dogma, you think low-carb diets are gonna make your penis fly out the window and it's gonna be gone forever. If you have a penis, if not, then it's your JJ. but whatever the, the case. So just imagine this mindset, okay? And there's a group of you, and now I'm gonna ask you this. Is there any controversy about what you do to treat this? What's that the universal sign of? Choking. What do we do for this person? Heimlich maneuver. There's no controversy here, right? Okay. Why is there any controversy about people who are suffering a metabolic state in which they are incapable of properly metabolizing carbohydrates? Why don't we provide them an alternate fuel substrate? Why is that controversial? Why is that a problem? Shouldn't be. It's basic physiology, thermodynamics, economics. It's all there. And I got to tell you, like, um, some of the looks I get, again, imagine you're, you're, you're a hospital administrator, you're important and you're in charge of lots of stuff. You save lives. Every decision you make, lives hang in the balance and somebody's just basically 
hiked their leg down your back and peed on you and said everything that you're doing is pretty much wrong. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting response, but it, actually we're getting some, some traction from more and more places. And, and the interesting part of it is it's largely economically driven. People are understanding that the standard of care fails and it doesn't fail sometimes, it fails every time. And then we have these cheap interventions. That the, the main challenge is kind of the social buy-in. Can we get the individual to just give it a shot? Can we get them in for 30 days? Can we get their family and social support network to, to buy in and, and help them do it? But there really should be no controversy around the practical application of low-carbon ketogenic diets. The science is pretty clear. The suggested mechanisms are pretty clear. So, Oh, and a huge thank you to my good friend, no relationship, Shante Wolf. He is the head dietitian at Specialty Health. This guy... It operates effectively the way that a, a physician would as far as his ability to order tests and do functional medicine. And he is really the, the lifeblood of our, our kind of metabolic intervention elements within the clinic. The doctors go to him and ask him questions all the time. Shante is just an amazing guy and a huge asset for the, for the, the whole operation there. And that's what I've got for you guys today. So if you have any questions, then thank you. Uh, how about PTSD uh, with ketogenic diets? Um, do you see similar responses as, as compared to TBIs? I, I personally have not done much work with PTSD, um, but, but there's some interesting similarities with PTSD and traumatic brain injury. Traumatic brain injury can be a precipitator for PTSD and... Uh, uh, oh, gosh, I'm blanking on her name. She was just on the Joe Rogan Experience, uh, Kate... Kelly Brogan, she has pretty deep experience with this, and she appears to recommend a ketogenic diet for PTSD, and, and uh, I, she seems to get remarkable results. And she is a, interesting. She's a psychiatrist who will not prescribe any psych meds anymore hmm. and, and uses a, a fully nutritional approach and life, integrative lifestyle approach to address it. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Hi. Thank Hi. you. Um, I was trained as a head injury um, cognitive structural therapist in a clinic a long time ago. And so I can totally relate to um, the question regarding car accidents because um, many teens and early 20s, they all, from the car accidents, had head injuries. Equally so, my brother, who was in, um, drafted in Vietnam in the late 60s, he died of ALS. And at the end of his life, he had to get feeding tubes. And I saw many of these young individuals in, head in, uh, in the head injury clinic had to get feeding tubes. And you're making me think everything that was going in their system was high sugar. And, I, and I'm just wondering if there are different options for individuals who are facing that type of setting. Currently, no. Uh, the, the, interestingly, in Japan in the 1980s, there was a pretty well done study where they used a ketone ringer solution for motor vehicle accident individuals that they suspected a, a, a traumatic brain injury. And they tracked this. It's a really great study and it just showed dramatically improved endpoints for these folks. So that was an acute intervention where the individual was under severe trauma, probably shock, where normally they would do a lactate ringer solution or something similar to stabilize their blood volume. They used a ketone ringer solution. And it was quite impressive, and, and uh, it hasn't really 
gained much in the way of traction. And who, who was it that, that mentioned one of the talks earlier that once the cancer patient goes on sh insure, then it's it's like curtains and and yeah, I mean it, it's uh, uh, clearly a lot of good intention going into this, but just it, it's we're, it, at least leeches help reduce um, iron overload in males. Like there is some efficacy to them, whereas giving people this stuff, is, it, it literally would be better to let the person fast during this period. And does everybody, you know, like the, the cellular stress mechanisms, hormetic stress response, ketone levels, like everything about the fasting state is about recovery. But yet we're trying to ram calories down these people in this, this state where we're trying to make them anabolic when they should legitimately be catabolic for a while. They should be breaking things down. There should be, you know, uh, adaptive stress mechanisms getting turned on to deal with this event. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, I wonder, I'm wondering about just the timeline in terms of acuity, kind of just, you know, just what you were saying. Um, so in working with people, I'm a physician, in, in working with people uh, post-traumatic, um, how quickly could you begin the ketogenic diet? And then for those that, for instance, I have a brother-in-law that had a head injuries in his 50s from a gunshot wound in his teens. Um, would is there any evidence to support that later on there could be benefit if you institute the ketogenic diet? Or I'll take the second part first. Okay. As long as you're alive, I think that there's still opportunity for some sort of a ketogenic or low glycemic load intervention to be okay. beneficial. Because what we're what we're facing in these individuals is we're just continuing to assault them with. A, a toxic level of glycemic and caloric load. Mm -hmm. So if we fix that, whatever growth and healing capacity is left in the body, then, then you know, we've, we've got potential there, in my opinion. Clearly, each situation is going to be different. On the acute side of this, now, this is my opinion. It, there's no, like, vetted research or anything, but I could see a scenario where, again, let's think about a youth sports scenario where some kids are playing soccer. Mm -hmm. Two kids go up to head the ball. They hit each other. Both of them are clearly pretty, pretty dingy after that. Instead of Gatorade, we give them some sort of a ketone salt solution, and then the parents are given a, a card that, at a minimum, that the parents should go get some MCT oil and add that to the diet for the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And it strongly suggested that they reduce carbohydrate load in such a way that they enter a nutritional ketogenic state. Mm -hmm. I would be shocked if this is not like, it, it, remarkably efficacious. But again, this, this is opinion. There's some good mechanism to suggest it, but I would be surprised if some sort of a timeline like, like that wouldn't be really, really effective. Really important to devote some research monies and grants to these. Yeah, and I mean, it's expensive and yeah. it affects a lot of people. Right. But again, the kind, the kind of interesting opportunity is that people are really excited about this topic. Like the, the NFL just ceased its mm -hmm. contract with the National Institutes of Health because it's looking really, really bad for the NFL with regards to the right. uh, recurrent concussion syndrome and all these types of problems. So people give a few hoots about this currently, mm -hmm. but the mechanistic underpinnings of the traumatic event are virtually identical or, or very, very similar in mechanism to these chronic degenerative states like Parkinson's and yes. Alzheimer's. So if we get a, a skinny end of the wedge in the door to open it on this front, then we've got a lot of opportunity to look at other things. Good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Sorry. Okay. I'll just hold the 
Okay, hi Robin. Hi. Thank you. I'm sorry if my question has nothing to do about the uh, with brain injury, uh, but I wanted to know what do you think about the paleo? Well, I, I am paleo ketogenic. What do you think about going ketogenic, paleo, or low carb in pregnancy and for children? In pregnancy and for children. Um, I personally, and again, like I, I'll get burned at the stake, but I, I see no issues with someone during pregnancy eating a low carb or even a ketogenic diet. And what I would personally let drive that are A1C values and also maybe doing some postprandial blood glucose monitoring, like I, I recommended in my second book. There's a massive degree of individual variation from person to person. My wife and I did some just N equals one type stuff, but she would eat 50 grams of rice. I ate 50 grams of rice. Her blood sugar topped off at 115. Mine topped off at like 192, and I had like vision changes and stuff. So I, I very, very different. Nikki's 35 pounds lighter than I am. So just from a dilution standpoint, she should have been really different. So if we see people that are having poor glycemic control during pregnancy, a low-carb diet seems fantastic. And there's a great dietitian out there, Lily Nichols. Um, she uh, she uh, has been on my podcast. She wrote a book about... Uh, basically low carb for for okay. pregnancy and then for kids again you know it, uh, particularly if you check out the type 1 grit group you have these kids that are thriving in that group because they're they're they they've got a tweak on the main theme of ketosis the carbohydrate level is restricted but the protein and the nutrient density is phenomenal and so we don't see any type of limited growth in these kids. They're just crushing it. So I would direct someone who, you know, for whatever reason that they might want a, a kid to eat on the lower carb side of things, really kind of checking out that type one grit community and the Bernstein approach because it, it, kids need more protein to grow for the nutrient density, the whole deal. So that would be the one kind of caveat that I would throw in with that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Rob, could you speak a little bit about the Reno, uh, Nevada experiment that you were working with and when we might see some published results? Also, if you know how many of those individuals were on some kind of a low-carb regime. Sure. So the Reno Risk Assessment Program is kind of the reason why I stayed in Reno. I, we, my wife and I moved to Reno six, almost seven years ago, and upon arriving, a few weeks later, I got a phone call from a guy who identified himself as Greeny. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. And he said, hey, we've got a medical clinic. You need to come down and check this out. And so when I showed up, there were copies of Gary Taub's books and my books and, and all the stuff in there. And I'm like, this is the twilight zone. Like, what, what's going on here? Usually medical clinics would want to burn this stuff. And the, the long and short of this is that it, it's a risk assessment clinic that was tasked with trying to find a way of decreasing sudden death in police and firefighters because it, it happens a lot. And they understood that there was a metabolic component to it, insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome. Really interesting piece to this. They did two years of a, a high-carb, low-fat intervention, and the cops and firefighters got worse. The ADA diet made them worse than the cop and firefighter diet. So that was an interesting thing, just as an aside. So then they said, okay, if high-carb, low-fat doesn't work, maybe we'll go low-carb. And so they did a two-year pilot study. They found 35 individuals at high risk for type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. This was determined by both uh, anthropometric measurements and also some advanced testing 
uh, LPIR, insulin resistance score, and a, a couple of other kind of key metabolic points. So they found these people at high risk, they put them on a paleo diet, low-carb paleo diet, modified their sleep and exercise as best they could. Based off the changes in their health risk assessment parameters, it's estimated the pilot study alone saved the city of Reno $22 million with a 33 to one return on investment. So we, we've been sitting on the publishing of this stuff because we've been trying to build this into a scalable business that we take out to the masses. And we've presented this to the biggest people in healthcare. We've presented it to um, name brand venture capital people that I think 99% of people in here would recognize their names and their jaws drop. And to a person though, they're like, yeah, nobody's gonna pay for that because the way our healthcare system is set up right now, the incentives are completely misaligned. So we're, we, it's growing. Like a, the, we probably have three times more people in the program now than what we did two years ago. But a really fascinating thing, the people who sign up for the program are what are called self-insured captives. So it's a company that's big enough that they want to both provide health insurance for their folks, but they also want a, a way of potentially managing and growing wealth for the company. So the money goes into a, a captive, and then they are directly responsible for the healthcare costs that come out of that. And so instead of it just being like, I don't know, who's, who's paying for this? I don't care. They actually care. And these have been the people that come to us and actually sign up for this process. Whereas um, bigger corporations where it's, it's kind of murky about who's paying for what, Blue Cross, Blue Shield type thing, there's been no interest in this. They're impressed with it. They, they give us a hat tip. They're like, wow, that's some really cool stuff, but we're, we're uninterested in it. Thank yeah, you. yeah. And it was only five years of my life devoted to that and it's not really come to much, so yeah. Hi. Hi. All great stuff. Just a uh, quick question regarding treatment for patients that are post-stroke. Um, I mm. know a lot of what you talked about was things that you've experienced with, you know, military and sports injuries. But as far as somebody with, um, you know, that suffered an aneurysm or that type right. of thing, have you seen the same sort of thing trickle over? It, 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 and, you know, there's some good research on it, actually, and that's actually a huge oversight on my part. I'll, I'll remember to, to update that. Yeah, uh, the uh, like yeah, ketogenic diets in post-stroke post application, there is some research on that. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Hi. I was interested in the research um, for concussions, whether anyone is actually doing that. I know there's a lot of concussion research going on um, University of Oregon, mm -hmm. where I've been, um, but specifically on that topic of, of taking them and studying nutritional supplementation immediately, as soon as they identify them and get them into you, a concussion I, I think program. Like, Is there anything being done on I that? I think thing? like Dominic D'Agostino and some of the folks that he travels with, I think there is some sniffing around that potential, but right now it's very conventional stuff, you know, like the, it's like good nutrition, you know, sound nutrition or what have you. But um, the, the idea of implementing a ketogenic diet or even the exogenous ketones is really at the outer edge of this whole thing. Yeah. So, so far as you, so would there be- To my knowledge, there's no, like there's no RCTs underway right now. There's not even a proposed one to my knowledge currently. And no conflict, I mean, it would be okay to try to do one? I mean, an IRB should probably sign off on this. I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't see it unless they view low carb diets as so dangerous that it would be unethical to try this on people, which seems silly because we use low carb diets on epileptics and whatnot. So okay. yeah, thank you. Yeah. 
oh, this this will be good. <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> and then, uh, um, anyway, uh, as somebody who works with youth, um, I, I I noticed that this really is a huge problem. I'm, I'm over the past two years, I've had three students who personally have had impaired cognitive function mm. simply from playing sports. It's really horrible. I, I want to be able to tell them about this. And I feel the same way about my friends who are diabetics and my friends who have cancer. And I don't know how to do it. Um, one of the problems I see with them is that they've heard so many things and so many horrible justifications, just stupid, pointless ones for why they ought to try and approach that Whenever I tell them anything, it's like, okay, sure. I'm sure that'll work just as well as everything else I've tried. Right. What are your thoughts on how that can be changed and what we can do to change it? I mean, events, it sounds cheesy, but, you know, events like this just, um, wait, what's the saying in marketing? Like, you need six exposures before somebody, six, seven exposures, nine, I don't, I don't know. But, you know, you need repetitious ex exposure to, uh, to kind of uh, buy into something ultimately. Um, I think, like, uh, you, you know, the, the little, like, hand-drawn things that have a voiceover, and it, it would be worthwhile for us to crowdfund a couple of things around that, you know, traumatic brain injury, you, you know, maybe neurodegenerative stuff, traumatic brain injury, cancer. It would be worthwhile, I think, to do a really well, a good, scientifically treated, but accessible thing like that, where you're kind of like, hey, man, check this out, you know, and, and so that you can at least start the conversation and it's, it's very, you know, it's a cartoon. So it's, you know, it's safe and accessible and everything, but it's kind of the first thing that pops to mind. But I mean, this is just, uh, it's trench warfare. You know, we make, we make one more line forward and then we dig in and make one more line forward. It, it's a dramatically different world now than what it was 20 years when I, 20 years ago when I first got in this. Yeah. So we just have to be committed to the long haul. Yeah. Thank you. There was something you said that really struck me as interesting about beta-hydroxybutyrate and how it's a really efficient fuel source in those hypoxic, acidic mm -hmm. environments. And my qu question is, if you know if anyone's looking at ICU diagnoses, because they're all about hyperperfusion, acidic, hypoxic states like cardiac arrest and mm -hmm. sepsis and SIRS and shock in all its many forms, and if maybe that ketone ringers could be used immediately, because that population, not only are we expending huge amounts of money, but we have such a slim margin Success of rate. error. Yeah. You know, we get one chance to help these people, you know, and change the course of the rest of their lives. You are, in my opinion, right on track with kind of my whole kind of thing with this. And again, this talk is typically geared towards like a hospital, hospital system, the doctors and whatnot. This thing is kind of geared to like open their eye to the potential here. But again, when we really, if we understand the underlying mechanisms you, you know, we understand mm -hmm. what an alternate fuel substrate like ketones can provide, what the benefits of a reduced glycemic load can provide. And then we start looking at something like acute sepsis. Right. It's like, oh, okay, this makes That's a lot of sense. That's huge money yeah. savings. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's in the ringers? Is it just beta-hydroxybutyrate and yeah. electrolytes? And, and then electrolytes. So, they, so it's at that like 0.09% or whatever solution, you know, similar to, to plasma, yeah. Right, because there's yeah. already problems with using normal saline in that huge volume, right. creating worse acidity. Right. 
you know, so. Right. And it, and it is interesting <laughs> because ketone bodies are themselves mildly acidic, but then so is lactate. But that's why they usually do a sodium lactate, so it's buffered, but then you could right. do some sort of a beta, you know, sodium beta hydroxybutyrate salt, and so it should deal with the acidity. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's just huge opportunity for this stuff. And, again, that's part of the reason why I'm really excited about exogenous ketones in general and also kind of annoyed at some of the the not on point marketing that, that sells them as a as a weight loss aid. I, I think that we have amazing data that would suggest mm. that they are fantastic in these different medical interventions. But then let's just be concise about what, what the claims are so that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. This might be the population of cost savings for the hospital bean counters to really get attention on how this method is cost effective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's some big player somewhere is going to an Amazon, a Google, somebody is going to say, hey, this evolutionary medicine thing, there's something to this. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to use some machine learning algorithms to sort people, mm -hmm. and it's going to transform stuff. Uh, it, you know, we'll, it'll be like... Uh, a new operating system that just works infinitely better than the than the old system and the, the yes yeah so it's exciting that. it's exciting Amen yeah thank you i have a good friend who about 15 years ago had a traumatic brain injury in an auto accident mm -hmm. and after seven or eight years wandering around in the wilderness trying to get diagnosed and treated at all finally got some traction now she's still is disabled to the extent that she can't hold a standard nine to five job. But about a year ago, I took up the low carb ketogenic sort of program in my own life, and she liked what it did for me physically and adopted it about two months ago herself. And what she tells me is that her emotional life is a lot more stable mm -hmm. than it used to be. And I, my knee jerk reaction will was, yeah, you got off the sugar roller coaster. Right. But it, you, some of the things I've heard at the conference made me wonder if there was some basis for leveling out your emotions in a more ketogenic energy source. You, you know, and this is where it's cool, where it works synergistically, and we may not fully know what the mechanisms are, but clearly everybody understands that if we're not on that carb roller coaster, our emotional state is better. How many people have heard that Exercise increases brain, it can increase uh, growth of new brain connections, new brain tissue. So there's a substance called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. Do you know what the signaling molecule is that releases and activates and makes efficacious brain-derived neurotropic factor? Beta-hydroxybutyrate. It's ketone bodies. If you can't produce ketone bodies, you don't grow new brain from exercise or from other physical activities that cause that hormetic stress response. So this, again, whether you're fully keto or you just do a little intermittent fasting, you want a little bit of ketone action in your life, at least intermittently, to be able to facilitate a, a lot of these processes. So with your friend, we could theorize, again, and this is a guess, it's mechanistic, but, uh, you know, guessing, but we've got a better glycemic control, so she's just not on that carb roller coaster, and if she has reduced inflammation in the brain and beta-hydroxybutyrate being produced, then that may be enhancing brain BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, that's helping her to heal and repair the brain. Again, super speculative. This is a guess. But, I mean, clinically, you look at her and it's like, well, I'm feeling better. So that maybe is what's going on. 
clearly like it's like Douglas Adams' view of Earth, mostly harmless. Right, right, right. You're making me feel young again. Um, I'm a board-certified uh, rehabilitation physician, and my wife who's I'm actually here with my wife, who is a, I call a renegade dietitian, and uh, we both are disgusted with our parent organizations, and I'm just telling you, they are not going to change. The only way to change this is you have a whole bunch of stormtroopers here, if you will. Take this information and go public with it. The big pharma knows this. They come on TV, tell you to tell your doctor to order this and this. So unless you go public all over the United States, and then people start to understand, they'll force the doctors to do, and the dietitians to change. I agree. I agree. Um, people frequently ask me, why don't, have you tried enacting this at the state level or this or that? And I'm completely a circumvent the standard model, grassroots. Um, I'm a huge fan of decentralized systems and markets, and that's the way that we change this whole thing. Those guys will change when we have already changed the system, and then they'll kind of like, oh yeah, we'll update the textbooks now and, and what have you. Like, it will have changed around them. Living the vida local. This show is changing lives. We talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling right. Cut up them avocados, fry some eggs. Time to explore the longest running health podcast, hosted by Jimmy Moore. Time to give up the crappy garbage. We're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal. Yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused. Don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Hey, the Living Low Carb Show. Dot com. Woo!